When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old muck of banners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So... We haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Pete. You can ring my bell. To be more like Pete, go to patreon.com, search for Joe Marler Show and become an official sponsor today. You're listening to The Marla Show It isn't on the radio It's a podcast, fool You listen anywhere you go The Joe Marla Show Welcome, everybody, to The Joe Marla Show. I'm Joe Marla, and of course, I am joined by the wonderful Tom Fordyce. Tom, you've got an incredible T-shirt on today. What, are they flowers? It's a little bit of everything on this T-shirt, Joe, isn't it? You know, sometimes when you forget you've got a top, and then you're sort of digging around in the wardrobe, and it's it's like bumping into an old friend in the pub. Oh, this T-shirt, I've not seen you for ages. You talk to your T-shirts? Yeah, don't you? I've got enough voices in my head to talk to, mate. I don't need to start talking to my T-shirts. There's a theory, isn't there, that you're not meant to wear T-shirts over a certain age. You know, there's sort of men's magazines where they lay down the law about certain stuff, like every man must have a pair of brogues. If you don't have a Harrington jacket in your wardrobe, one of those sort of ones. There's a theory that over the age of 30, you should bin off the T-shirt. They're not the sort of men's magazines I read. I was thinking more Mayfair. Do they do those magazines anymore? You know, the top shelves magazine. Surely, like, 4G and the internet has just put them all out of business. I know what you're saying, but people still go to the theatre in the age of the film. Oh, that's true. Don't they? Yeah. And if there's something about the imagination required for the more old-fashioned publication that people find charming. I'm amazed that we've compared going to the theatre to wanking over a top shelf (laughs) magazine. How do we do it? How do we do it on this show? I don't know. I just think that the youngsters these days, Joe, have got it very easy because, let's face it, every conceivable <laughs> every conceivable scenarios, I'm told, is just a couple of clicks away. Whereas, you know, in the old days, it was more creative. You had to, work. You had to, see, what you, you had to see what you, you could conjure up. for it. did. Excellent. We need to move on. Stop. I'm not doing the intro talking about wanking. <laughs> Fucking hell. Well, we've got some news, haven't we? We've got a documentary club out now. Yes, we have for our Patreon subscribers, Joe. Our documentary club is all about Marlon Brando, which mm, I found mm, very interesting. Mm, familiar. Marlon, Marlon fucking Brando, man. And that's a very nice segue into the fact that Impressions Club, Joe, is also out shortly for our Patreon subscribers. What a treat! Hey, biscuits, biscuits, man. Biscuits. I love Impressions Club. I love it. What about this tweet that I've had? And Instagram, I've had ah. about this bloke on ITV Meridian tonight in a Joe Marler Show T-shirt. I didn't actually <laughs> believe we sold them. I didn't know. I thought it was a made-up thing that you and Steve had collaborated with. There's someone out there who's actually paid a reasonable price of twenty pounds, I believe, and he's been seen. 
giving an interview on ITV Meridian with the T-shirt on. Unbelievable. We need to find this man. Yeah, we do. You have certain proud moments in your life, Jay, don't you? It's, you know, maybe when your first child has his or her first day at school. Or when you see a friend uh, who has maybe set up a business and it's turned into a success. Or maybe a friend's wedding day. Joe, all the emotions that I felt on those occasions were replicated when I saw this unnamed man in a Joe Marler Show t-shirt on a regional ITV news bulletin. I'm glad it means so much to you. But we need to find him. How? Like I've already had someone saying, I think he looks like a mate of mine. But I'm not sure. I'm like, surely you know who your mate looks like. like. You know whether it's him or not. And then someone's messaged me saying, oh, it looks like the Burgess Hill area because uh, of the kebab shop in the background. I recognise that Good one. knowledge. I was like, oh, wow. So that's narrowed it down. I think it might be someone in Burgess Hill area. Can we get some help on the Joe Marler Show socials? Message in to us on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, they're both at Joe Marler Show, if you've got any information, the one with the best information that leads to us finding this culprit, I mean a fan, will get some sort of reward. I'm trying to, again, I'm looking around my van, trying to work out what I can give it. I've got a half-eaten apple on the floor. That's not really going to go down well. In fact, hang on. I will choose the best person that's given us the best information to find this guy with the t-shirt on itv the little book of foreign swear words that i've just found in my car you see that could you give us just a, a quick sample of the little book of foreign swear words if you give me the language first <laughs> this is this is italian okay and you have to guess what it is trombatore di capri one more time tromba <laughs> Trom Trombatore di Capri. Your knob looks like a trombone. It's a great attempt. I've also got the same word in French, German and Spanish. Do you want me to give them before yes, you... Yes, please, yeah. Okay, right. Uh, German. Zig, Zig Ficker, Zig Ficker. That was something fucker, pig fucker. It's... Hey, we're getting closer. Here we go, Spanish. Hijo de Cabra. Son of something. Son of a mother... No, son... Okay, and we'll go with the French. Nicoa de Chevreuse. Something about a goat? Yeah, it's goat fucker. <laughs> So all that and more could be yours if you help us find the mystery man in the Joe Marler show top. I'm not sure I want to give it up Meridian. anymore. I might as well just say, look, you can have 20 quid. I need this book instead. <laughs> if you need visuals on this mystery man, he is on our social feed. So that is at Joe Marler show on Twitter, at Joe Marler show on Insta. Joe, who's our guest today? Our guest today is Alan coming and i'm super excited about this one because i used to play him on n64 on goldeneye as boris boris krishenko unbelievable how have we pulled this off i think it's because he's also doing a podcast with the same podcast company crowd network shortened to crowd a fascinating insight joe should we get our guest on yeah sorry too much faffing let's go Our guest today is an actor, singer, writer and filmmaker. His name is Alan Cumming. Fucking nailed it. So that was good. Yeah, good. And I won the pause battle there because what you've been doing is you've been, like I said last week, you've been making it more and more awkward for every guest that we have on by pausing after I say hello first. I go, hello. I was meant to go, hello, Alan. Welcome. And you go, oh, hello, Joe. And then Tom would leave it too long. <laughs> and I'd be like, Tom, fucking say hello, would you? This is out of order. <laughs> say hello. Stop being rude. And then I made a note on my sheet today, which was very professional for me, was pause, make Tom talk first. <laughs> and we thought you'd frozen. We thought you'd yeah, use your van internet had gone And now you. I've just made it even more awkward every time we do it. So I felt that was masterful. It was masterful. I fell into your trap. Today's episode is all about acting. So Tom, I'm going to ask you to start off because... You always start off. Alan, we have got so many questions about acting, the business of acting, how you do it. And as you'll find out, we've got some vaguely sensible ones, some which aren't sensible at all, and some which are frankly ludicrous. Joe, in a clip which went viral a number of months ago, um, ended up doing a very strange impression of an Irish horse. You have also voiced a horse. So when you're voicing a horse, how do you decide what voice to give that horse? Well... 
It depends. I've done. I've actually voiced a lot of animals over the years. When I did that, that was Black Beauty, and I just did them like my as my own. The director wanted me to have my own voice. The thing with that is in that film, it's you have to be very genuine. It's the it's the narrator of the whole film, and I, yes, I was playing a big black horse, but I I wasn't like you know going near or anything. I was just saying as things as me. I had to talk about oats and Ginger, my girlfriend. Who dies? Did you know that Ginger fucking dies in Black? Brilliant! Oh, I won't watch it then. Up. Just ruined it's, it. I, I, seriously, <laughs> it's really disturbing. And then other uh, animals I've played. You listen to the director, what they have to say, and when I played Black, I can't Beauty, believe you didn't even. Th- what? So you didn't like put any like munching sounds during like a, a line of Black Beauty? Like not in Black Beauty. No, no, because the horse. Like I was just well, like it's the just voices. not realistic, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> the horse itself. There was an actual horse. Wow. Like it wasn't an animation thing. The horse supplied those noises. I just played his th- thoughts. What I don't understand though is if you were the if you were Black Beauty's thoughts. Yeah. Tom, you can help me with this one as well. How do, does a does a horse think in in words? It's never learnt words. So surely a, a horse thinks in in horse. The same with babies. In his head, it's going. You know, we have to we have to suspend our disbelief. That's oh. what we call. That's the thing in acting. You have to got to do. They'll ask the audience to do. You've got to ask them to suspend their disbelief and imagine. Because if if I did talk in horse, nobody would know what I was saying. Well, the horses would. Well, the horses, <laughs> but horses don't get to go to the cinema. Well, exactly. Which is half the issue for me. I think horses should. We're missing out, and we should actually make those outdoor cinema cinemas available to the horses because. Imagine the fun that they would have there, just like... <laughs> um, Tom, I can't believe that was your opening question. I enjoyed where it went, but my opening question was, uh, Alan, what, how did you become an actor? Did you go to drama school or did you just go yeah. do some local amdram or how did you start out? I did look, local amdram when I was 17. I went to drama school in Glasgow to the another thing about there's another reason you know when you're old because I went to, when I went to it was called the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama and now it's called the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland because now they don't do just music and drama they do dance and performance art and stuff like that so they changed it anyway I went to drama school for three years this is quite fun like I left school at 16 and no university or because I'd gone to school when I was four blah blah and there was no university or drama school would take me because I was too young very wisely but so I had to get a, do something for a year and I got a job in a local publishing place in Dundee and I, I was a sub-editor in a magazine but before I was on the magazine I was in the fiction department and I had to make up the horoscopes for the Dundee uh, Evening Telegraph <laughs> I literally made up the horoscopes Were you vindictive with your horoscopes or were you quite benevolent? You know I was very I took it very seriously and I always thought of because I would look at other magazines and things and pinch all the sort of you know oh, you know, Uranus is in retrograde, blah, blah, all that stuff. <laughs> and, and I, but I would always think of, I wouldn't say things that might be exclusive to like, I always would think of a, a little old lady who lived alone with her cats. So I would always think, I would say things like, so, you know, Uranus is in retrograde. So maybe now's not the time to clean out the cupboards. Things like that. <laughs> Just try and make it all uh, completely generic. I'm a big fan of extras. Mm. It's one of my favourite shows Me too. to watch. But I've always wondered whether it's actually legit, like the pecking order, like the the extras are, you know, the the lowest of the low. Is there a genuine pecking order between stage, TV and films? Say you're Ian Bill or whoever plays Ian Bill. Is he really respected, even though he's had a 25 year plus career, he's never done anything on stage, has he? So you're like, well, you're not a proper actor. Is that how is that how it works? Mm, maybe for some people. I'm not uh, snobby like that. I think, you know, I sort of think you've been on television. I mean, good for you. You've played the same character for like 7,000 years and you you know and you are that person and you I think it's I think it's really interesting. It's different. You think acting is just one thing, but it's actually many different things, I think. Like for someone like that, you are basically you become you're a personality. You just are that person and you become this person that is part of people's lives or part of the audience's lives and I think that's a really you know to be able to do that it's a really great feat but it's not like what I want to do I want to play different people all the time like I did play what you know when I was in The Good Wife I played the same person for seven seasons but I did other things in between as well 
to kind of pep it up. I just, I, I find the idea of playing the same person for a very long time a bit scary. Uh, you know, in, I think Britain is riddled with class and snobbery. There's definite snobbery in the theatre and there, and there is a pecking order in on film sets that you talk about extras. I don't think it's that people think of extras as the lowest of the low or, or they're background artists as they're called nowadays, but uh, you actually, it's the way that there's a sort of a system that, that you, you know, you, you're kind of kept apart from them and that the, the, the kind of starry actors are sort of brought in at the last minute and put into their places and their stand in has done the thing for them. And yeah, but that, that sounds shit. That sounds <laughs> so horrible. Like, cause they're, I know, I know the extras aren't like the big, the star or whatever, but surely you want a, mm. an, an environment where everyone feels like they're contributing because without any of the extras and you've just got one star in one fucking room with no one in it, it doesn't work. So uh, you're you're kind of putting your um, interpretation into what I said. I didn't. I said that's the way that it works in terms of the structure. Like I don't. Oh. Like I walk on. I walk onto the set and I say hello to the extras. I pass them. I say hello to everybody. I begrudgingly you know, get, even, <laughs> fling them my old <laughs> fling them some old sandwiches crumbs. Uh, no, but like, sandwich. The, the, <laughs> I don't want this, do you? Uh, but but <laughs> it's it's sort of like you know it's a business. It's a it's, there's an efficient way to do it. Films fil- filming it's like a very military like thing. It's very organised. They have like when you you have things like movement orders. That's what they call it when you go from when you go from one location to the other. It's very militaristic in the way it's done. It's incredibly organised, incredibly sort of layered like that. I, I mean, everybody has fun, but, it, but it's about the uh, there's a system that you have to work within. And I like when I've when I'm playing the lead in something or when I'm producing something, the thing that I try to do most of all is make sure that everybody has fun. Because often on sets, people don't. You know, and you can. I've been in some, you know, been in so many films and things over the years, and I've seen people who have just directors and producers and stuff who have made it not fun for people. And I, I realize it's not that difficult to make it fun. You just have to be nice, and you have to make people feel welcome and make them feel that they're valued. Alan, Joe and I had a discussion recently about the documentary. Is it Jim and Andy? Joe, that we were talking about. Ah, uh, yes. yes. If, is it Kaufman? Um, Andy, Ka- Andy Kauf. Yeah. Kaufman. So it's it's Jim Carrey when he's playing Andy Kaufman. Oh yes, I saw that. Yeah. We're um, summarising this slightly, but he basically stays in character. Yeah. Um, not just when he's filming, but not just when he's just offset, but seemingly for the entire whatever it is, five or six months that he's playing Andy Kaufman. The conclusion that Joe and I came to was that he was being a massive dick a lot of the time. <laughs> but were we missing something there? Was he actually being true to his craft? Uh, yes, he probably was being true to his craft, an interplanetary craft. <laughs> you know, the, that, that whole thing of the method, that's what he was doing, the me- method acting, which means that you, I, d- I just think it's so stupid. And even like Daniel Day-Lewis, I think is a great actor. Like the th- idea that you're not allowed to call him his real name on the set, and he, you have to refer to him as the cat. I just think is so stupid. It goes that far. Apparently, yeah. Haven't you got like a, a safe word with someone like this? Surely they should have. <laughs> oh, can we just? If you, oh, right, Satsuma's my safe word. If I say Satsuma, I'm out. I'm not. I'm. I'm not my character. I'm back to Daniel Day-Lewis. But what? Then... What if you want someone to stuff a Satsuma in your mouth? What's that? It's quite a dangerous safe that word, that isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah shit. It's <laughs> Bearing in mind, Satsumas have been used i'm crossing over uh, my personal life with uh, my professional yeah. life at the moment you know so the method thing is that you stay in your character and you pretend that the the world you're in is actually you, you know you're not really on a set you're actually in this real world and it annoys me so much because you think well what the fuck do you think this camera is doing here in your living room then do you know what I mean? And, and <laughs> what are these other people doing? And why is there someone over there with a big boom? I just think it's so annoying and it's so indulgent, I feel. It's, and I, I've worked with people who, who have done it. And I just feel like often like I think, oh, my God, you, you know, you, you're really in character, but you've, you're not standing in the light. How about that? How about trying to do your be in character and be seen? <laughs> it just really annoys me. And I think it's really selfish because it's actually it's actually saying I'm only concerned about myself and my my work. I'm not I'm not sharing, I'm not thinking about this as a, a group effort, which acting or any sort of you know arty thing should be. And so I really can't bear it. And I also I, I have a pet peeve. You've got me on my soapbox now. That acting <laughs> when people myth- mythologize and all these, you know, the method, there's various different versions of that. 
it just makes it much more complicated than it needs to be because you just have to pretend to be someone else and mean it. It's not a difficult concept. Some people are better at it than others, but basically everyone can do it a wee bit. It's just, it, it should be like kids playing. And the more you put on all these layers, the less good it gets and the less selfish and indulgent it gets. I hate it. Oh my God, hang on. What? Uh, there's a postman behind me. <laughs> um, he, it's quite awkward now. Uh, days, oh fuck, I can't open the van either. He's just... Just staring at me. Has he got a large parcel for you, Joe? He does have a large parcel, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, mate. Just, just leave it on the, just leave it on the floor. He's oh, coming around. Oh. oh, yeah. Open. The, yeah, come this side. Oh fuck! This is so unprofessional. Oh, <laughs> sorry, mate. Open the door. I can't open the door. <laughs> sorry. So sorry, mate. You okay? Yeah, it's not your parcel. I have to ask you a big favor, if you can. It's not my parcel. No. Oh. One of my colleagues bought for his wife your book. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Oh, I can't believe Joe staged this when Alan's on the call. He's got one of his mates to dress up as a postman. I don't have a pen. Oh, he's got a pen. Oh, he's... To j- <laughs> Get off. Oh, yeah, Big 60. God, oh, I feel sick. Hang on. You've disgraced yourself with this, Joe. <laughs> It's hilarious. Jen, Jen, oh, I feel sick. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm so sorry. She's 60, is she? Yeah. Big 60. <laughs> Big laugh. <laughs> oh, this is... I'm so Thank you very thank much. Thank you, mate. I'll let you pen. That's okay. Take... <laughs> thank you very much again. <laughs> have thank, a lovely day. Thank you, mate. Take care. <laughs> have a good day. It's automatic. Oh. Don't worry. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking hell. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck has just happened? <laughs> oh, Tom, hilarious. take over. Move on. Go to the next thing. <laughs> Forget about anything I've just said. Move. Please go. You've gone so big time, Joe. You've changed. <laughs> oh, my God. My face, is, my cheeks are sore from laughing. It's only like 10 minutes in. <laughs> I'm about to do a thing when I go around Scotland in a van with Miriam Margulies. Hmm. That will be wonderful. For a TV show, not for fun, you know. I mean, hopefully it will <laughs> be kicks. fun. <laughs> being filmed, doing it. But it was so funny. I saw, a Dan, well, everybody does, Dan Radcliffe. I, he... We, we, I think the reason they asked me to do this is that we were on Graham Norton's show with Miriam Margulies when we were doing a play together, Dan and I, in London. And we had sort of, I had good banter with Miriam. But he said to me that because she was in Harry Potter and he said that she always used to be swearing and everything in front of all the kids in Harry Potter in the makeup <laughs> and farting, farting with impunity. <laughs> and so I, I saw him just before I came to Australia and I told him, I said, oh, you'll never guess what, I'm going to do this travel show going around Scotland in a van with Miriam. And he just looked up from his lunch and went, oh, Alan, the farting. <laughs> uh, my question Alan was going to be this thing about acting where you have to be completely convincing as a character but I would imagine that the more convincing you are as a character in some ways makes your ordinary life worse because people don't see Alan coming they see the character that they love and so when they might bump into you in the street they either want you to perform as that character or if you have a catchphrase as you have in the past they like the catchphrase and weirdly, they're disappointed to meet the actual you in a strange way. Or they call you the character's name, which is weird. Even even when they're like being introduced to you, you say, hi, I'm Alan. And they go, oh, you know, Eli or whatever. The various people it can be. And uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's all, I mean, in a funny sort of way, it's kind of nice because, but it's annoying because you think I'm not at work now. You know what I mean? But um, I, I, I quite like it when people, like when people shout, um, lines that I've said in films and things at me, I I, I quite like it. It's I mean it's, I don't want to encourage them to do it, but it's not. I don't think see it as a bad thing. I just think I think it's weird when people are being introduced to you in, in a, like a party or something, and they call you by your character's name, even if you say no, my name's Alan. They continue to call you. That's kind of weird. You do you ever lose your shit? Like my name is fucking Alan. My name. If you is call Alan. me Boris one more time, yeah. I'm gonna kick you in the dick so hard. No, I've never said that. But oh, <laughs> I have to ask you this one because I used to play with you 
quite are you so oh my god Joe <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thought we weren't going to go public on this I thought we were going to wait until we got a, a, a hello magazine <laughs> money I used to play with you or as you quite a lot when I was younger on the N64 I used to be me I used to be you that was it yeah um, yeah in Goldeneye, what was it like to actually be part of a James Bond film? That's that's big. That was huge. Well, it was huge because it also was like the first big, big film I'd done. What was exciting was that they hadn't had a James Bond film for ages. So it was sort of being rebooted. And also it was Pierce's first film as, as James Bond. You know, the first film, Judy Dench was playing M. It was a whole sort of, it was re, the whole thing was being rejigged. So it was a lot of attention and a lot of sort of, I guess pressure for some people. So it was such fun and so exciting. Like nowadays, if you're in a film, you know if you're going to be in a video game, it's all in the contract sort of thing. You know, in those days, they didn't have video games. And actually, I think, you know, Goldeneye was one of the first sort of big films that had a video game. So I didn't know about about that I was in a video game until well after the film came out, a couple of years. And I was at this friend's house and her wee boy was kind of staring at me really, you know, like I was... <laughs> like a ghost or something and he said that thing you just said he goes i i'm i always i always choose you i was like oh really he goes yeah i i, I was you this afternoon i was like okay what's going on and then i realized what it was and he took me through to his bedroom and i and, and we played it and i played myself <laughs> which is such fun and uh, then what was funny though i went home this is like you know god 22 23 years ago and i had an assistant called landon at the time this boy and I said, "Oh my God, Landon, how exciting! You know, I'm in a video game." And he went, "Oh yeah, I know. If you piss me off, I go home and shoot you in the balls because apparently you can, <laughs> you can, you can shoot me in the balls, and I and then I still survive and can help you to the next level or something." So it's kind of an I'm so annoying in, in the thing that I actually people want to harm me, but they also need me as well. It's kind of a bit like my life, and uh, so that was exciting. Is it a bitchy world, Alan? This is one of these cliches that those of us who have never been. Actors never will be actors. Never, never operate in that world. Always here. Wow, interesting question. I really. Well, want you to can't. Ask you you can't question, ever Jill. trust an actor. Surely, you can't ever, ever trust an actor. Oh, that's a lot of shit. Your profession is based on on lying, essentially. Like you're, <laughs> you're prote- always pretending okay. to be. Something Can I ask you're you? Not. So, like when you're when you're playing rugby, right, and you're going towards someone, you've got the ball, and you think you pretend to go one way, then you go the other, and you trick them. Right, I so you get really not good. Yeah, you have no idea what my role in rugby is. I can't. <laughs> well, I, I can don't. barely well, go I, forward, I let alone one way or the other. <laughs> You're like a shark, <laughs> you can't go backwards. You, but you know what I mean. Like you, and it's like saying, like yep. when you tackle yep. someone, basically, or you try to go around dribble or whatever you call it. Don't suppose you dribble in rugby, do you? Yeah, we'll go with dribble. When you dribble, it's that's like trickery. You know, I actually find actors to be a really supportive group. There are there are bitchy people in the world but i think the ratio of bitchy actors is probably slightly less than the ratio, than the bitchy people in the rest of the population and i think you know i think that this idea that we can't be trusted because we pretend to be other people is uh, you know everyone lies everyone pretends it's what it's kind of what we you know you just you, you, little white lies is what we call it and and dribbling dribbling i think it's just exactly the same thing although <laughs> dribbling's got a weird kind of connotation of sort of like discharge a little bit <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? Is there Why much discharge did you in come out with that? Uh, there's a lot of discharge. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of discharge um, involved in most of these podcasts, actually. Yes. Um, what what position do you play in rugby? Is that what you call it? <laughs> I play a uh, prop, um, renowned for being the big fat lad who cannot. Uh, run very fast, like the um, one. The far. one when you do the scrum, you're like the one. The yeah, kind of, the scrum. The sense of head. Yeah, yeah. Your head shoved up your ass, sort of thing, and the I the wafts of smells and discharge. Million Margulies fart. Scrum is... <laughs> <laughs> oh mate, some of the things I've smelled in in a scrum wouldn't wouldn't her fart wouldn't come close. Right, we need a small break to uh, advertise some sponsors that have helped us create this show. So hold there for a second, please, Alan, whilst the adverts play. Roll the adverts. Roll adverts. Now. Now. Adverts. Go. Go. 
Tom Fordyce, I never would have met you if it hadn't been for we didn't start the fire. Katie Puckrook, I thought I didn't want to learn anymore. I was wrong. And you know why we're learning so much? Oh man, that's a tough one. This is a really interesting story. In 1949, 1950, the communist troops came to my province. Because this is the best history podcast you've ever listened to in your entire life? What? What? They shot him live in front of the whole village. My mouth is just hanging open. I can't believe this. And yes, it's sort of based on Billy Joel's song, but it's a history podcast. Tells us all the reasons why the world today is as it is, but it's more. I killed a cactus (laughs) recently. My connection to Marilyn. Richard Nixon. The H-bomb was so much more powerful. If there was a movie, it was just Brando's face. I'd put it on in the background all day. I'd be perfectly happy. Search for We Didn't Start the Fire. We'll wait for you. Shrink the Box is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favorite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namone Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behavior creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. Right, before we go any further, we need to thank our Patreons. These are our official sponsors. Not Adam and Eve, but it's Harley Steve. Becky, the vacuum Dyson. Other vacuums are available. Come all without, come all within. You've not seen nothing like Nick Quinn. Young man, he's a patron of the show, it's Ryan. Young man. Ollie, Ollie, Ollie! Ollie Soundy. To be more like Harley, Becky, Nick, Ryan and Ollie, go to patreon.com, search for Joe Marler Show and become an official sponsor today. Joe, those were some important messages from our sponsors. Let's return to the more important matter of quizzing Alan about acting. I'm interested, Joe, in um, the craft of acting and how it's done. So, Alan, can you maybe help me and Joe out here a little bit? My only experience of what it takes to act is the, the masterclasses that Joey used to do on Friends, <laughs> when, for example, he would say that the way, to, <laughs> the way to act grief is to try and work out in your head how to divide 235 by 13. What? <laughs> I'm going to do the face. I'm going to do the face. Ready? It'd be great on a podcast. My character is supposed to be showing uh, it's been given some shock. And the way that I act this is trying to divide an impossible number by an impossible number. That's quite good, actually. That's quite, I, can see you're, I can see that you're actually thinking about a puzzle, but it does look like you're, you can't, can't comprehend what, what has happened. <laughs> I'm going to do one that you'd have to judge, but I'm not going to tell you the method I'm using or the emotion I'm trying to convey, I need you to guess. I'll try and describe this for our listeners. He's looking wistfully out to the distance, looking around into the sky, looking open-mouthed, no, looking up. <laughs> it's very sort of angelic. Any ideas? It's like, if, it's like you've seen an angel, or no, maybe not. Maybe you're fearful. Was it fear? Yeah, it is fear. It's fear. You've nailed <gasps> the fear. And Whoa, can you, can you, thank you. T- so for, for Tupois, mm-hmm. can you guess the method? You're looking at the sky. You're looking for like looking for birds in the garden or something. No, Your I'm smelling a fart. <laughs> oh, how is that not parts. obvious? Like, did you produce one on demand for that? Perhaps. Um, I probably got what was her name? Mary Mag- Magalise. I'm sure Miriam, she's prime minister. Of <laughs> Mary Magalise. Mary Magdalene. <laughs> <laughs> she is the she is the the, uh, the mother of farts. Jesus's wife dropped by and she <laughs> the mother of she just dropped one in the van and fucked off. Alan, <laughs> how do you act a snog or slash sex when you snog? Well, I think what you have to do is, I mean, now uh, there's things they have this thing called a, a, an intimacy director. I did a thing where I had to be naked and there was an intimacy director, and I got there was a. We had to, <laughs> <laughs> go on excellent I mean, well well i'll tell you what normally i do like you just you know if you're going to have sex with somebody in a, in a film you're going to you know you say when you're kissing you say well i'm going to put my tongue in your mouth and blah blah blah, and do proper like really go for it 
And then, you know, when you're if you're making it, it getting hot and heavy, you say, oh, I'm going to put my hand there and I'm going to do this. And you sort of talk it through in a technical way so that when you do it for real and you're supposed to make it look real, the person, I, I think the person should not feel uncomfortable, but also it should look realistic. So that's what I do. You just talk about it first. And, you know, you really you really make out with them and you, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. I like kissing people. And, and so it's quite nice. Wouldn't it make more sense if you want to make it as realistic as possible to just make it real anyway what do you mean make it real i did some research what i tend to what i tend to do i try and do as much research as possible uh, particularly around uh, important subjects like real sex films that's not porn mm. which i've written down here mm. um so there's a film uh, called short bus in 2006 oh yeah and it was an yeah, erotic drama have you heard about this one yeah i saw it i know i know a lot of people who are in it oh and they wanted real the director wanted real orgasms in it so like wanted mm -hmm. full-blown go for it and then mm -hmm. He, I think it was a he, because uh, I don't know. It just says director. director yeah, he he John went down on a woman in the final scene. He did. That's right. Just so that he could feel. Pardon, you're talking of it like as if that's <laughs> that's completely fine. Well, it was sort of that. That was the setup for the film. It was like it was like a part of the film was kind of like a sex club. So mm. they were in this place where people were having sex, and so people really were having sex. It was sort of an experiment he was trying to do, I think, with the film. It was about sort of... Oh, that's the know, excuse he was using, Because it? it's the last taboo, sex, actual sex. Everything else we do for real. You know, we, you know, acting is, you know, when it comes down... I mean, it's sort of, I, think, I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, there's... Sex is a part of our lives that is not really represented properly in culture. It's not represented properly in porn. And I think what's really crazy, I've talked to people who... So that young people now, you know, who who see porn and they think that's how you need to act and you need to make those noises and you do like, you know, oh, 5.3 minutes of blowjob and then you do the blab, you go into the next bit. It's sort of like this, there's a, they, they use the formula they see in porn in real life. So in a way, I think we should be trying to make sex be more realistically portrayed in our in our culture because it's it's not and i think that and, and eventually we're going to have everybody's just going to do stunt sex stunt sex every sex is like you know and it's i think it's really crazy when people say things like oh no don't say that what they should be saying is things like after about 30 seconds saying things like i've got to get up quite early tomorrow can we crack on or maybe a minute in saying oh did you take the bins out yeah could you not do that yeah. Or in my case, um, make sure all the lights are off so I can't see what you look like. <laughs> that's, that's, that's been said to me several times. Oh, God. No. Uh... As we continue our, our acting masterclass here, Alan, the question Joe and I were discussing yesterday was how you learn lines. How easy or difficult it is to learn lines. How do you learn your lines? I just, like, I get the script, I look at it, and I just try and you know look away and try not to look at it and see if i can they're in my mind a, a quick study is what it's called i mean some people do all these tricks they write them down or they you know tape them and have them in their headphones i don't do any of that i just look at it if you're doing something that's you know like a, a sort of a, a naturalistic thing i mean when you do when i do plays and the big shakespeare stuff like that you obviously have to really work at it and study and just sort of you know look at it learn one wee bit go into the next bit going but sometimes if it's a naturalistic thing you kind of get the hang of the writing and, and if you've got a very technical stuff about lots of plot things, I have to really focus on that. But usually, I often I just like in rehearse, so what you do is you go on set, you rehearse it. I've looked at it the night before, but you rehearse it, you say you've got the script, then you go to makeup and I just like have like laser focus. And it's like the fact that I know as soon as I finish makeup, I've got to go on the set and I've got to know it. And I just go zoop. And the great thing is I forget it as soon as I've done it. Like I sometimes see myself on TV and like on a plane or something. And I'll have absolutely no recollection of ever having said the words that are coming out of my mouth. Because <laughs> you just zone out. You're so in the zone that you're just like, oh. You just don't have enough space for all the lines and all the plays and all the things. You just got to let it go. Can I ask you about like award ceremonies then? What award ceremonies have you been to? That Are they any good? Are they actually fun? Or are you like, oh, fuck, this, please hurry up? I've been to most of them apart from the Oscars. I've not been to the Oscars. The, like, the Golden Globes are fucking hilarious because you're at these tables and you have booze and everyone gets smashed and you have a dinner and everything and so that's it's like a celebration and a really good laugh that's fun the emmys oh it's like endless and i always take uh, nuts with me or little snacks to connect because i know i'm going to get like hangry because you, you know, it's, so, it's so long and your choice of snack is you go oh just take some nuts with me this will get me through well you've got to like be able to secrete it in your you know top international look your outfit so there's that as well 
So you or you get your publicist to carry it in her handbag or something. <laughs> they don't serve you. Don't you have a drink? I mean, you have to take what? a flask. To, yeah, you, you you go out because they're sort of in the afternoon. They start in the afternoon because it's in LA time. I just I hate the Emmys. It just goes on forever. The ones where you have to sit in a theater and watch. And if you're nominated, you just think, oh, get a fucking move. I just get to my bit so I know whether I'm one. I know if I've got to go up and you know be absolutely nervous as shit and have to make a speech and nearly cry, or I'm going to lose and everyone's going to give me pity all night afterwards at the after party. I just want that to be over. <laughs> That's really interesting that you said if you got up and won, you'd be really nervous about giving a speech. Why would you be nervous about getting up and giving a speech? So when you're a, an, a, a character, you're not really you right you're playing this person so everything you there's like a veil between you and the audience so everything you do it's the character doing it. it's not you obviously you're doing it and you have to like you know there's some things that you've got to get your shit together and you've got to uh, you know have balls to do certain things but it's always the uh, it's the character doing it not you it's written for you to do you're a sort of interpreter of it whereas when it's you Alan, I find it very nerve-wracking. Also, when you go up to make a speech, you haven't rehearsed it. You haven't rehearsed it in front of an audience. You know what I mean? Maybe you've rehearsed it in your bathroom, but you, you don't. It's not. It's not a given you're going to do it, so you don't know. And so, and also, it's, you're incredibly nervous. It's on live television. You've been there's been a campaign, and you've been you know everyone's been blowing smoke up your ass for weeks, and and you're probably have you know not eaten, and you're been up really early, and and it's just a combination. It's just like. It's a combination of all those things and then the adrenaline rush of getting up in front of millions of people, literally, and having to make a speech and hold it together and remember all the things you're supposed to say. And and, and it's not a character. It's not something that's written for you. I, that's why people are... That's why people, and that's why people cry, I think. I'm, I'm surprised people don't, like, collapse more often. That amazes me. I, I really hadn't thought about it. And I guess that, from a, a viewer's point of view, is just taking you and the people in your profession for granted that that should be easy for you. You just get up and you you love the limelight, you love the spotlight, you get up there and an awards night is just a piece of piss. But the way you've described it, you go, hang on a minute, you, yeah. you're just a human. You're being you there. You're being judged for you, not your character. Maybe next time you go up, Alan, for an awards ceremony, you could either do, you could either go meta and you could play an actor called Alan Cumming. Or you could slip back into one of your more familiar roles and, and accept the award as Black Beauty. I'd say, oh, Ginger, Ginger, this is for you. No, there's oats. No. But, you know, I, I, I actually do think of myself like that. I do, like, I sometimes. Like, when I go on a talk show. As a giant black horse. <laughs> if I had a nickel. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I do think of myself as, like, like on talk shows or something, which are also very false. I mean, it's supposed to be just like, oh, we're just having a chat, but it's ridiculously structured. You know, you, you've had a pre-interview, you, you're, you're prompted to tell stories. It's very manufactured. So I, but you still try and be yourself and be authentic. So I, I think that I, I play Alan Cumming, this famous actor on, on talk shows. So I do, I think that's actually what you've, 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 um, Pointed out something I think is actually something that actors do do in those situations. You play a version of yourself like that. So you said you don't want to be, you'd never want to be Ian Beale. You respect that that's the choice that he's he's chosen and thing, but you would never want to play that character for that long because you like doing yeah, different roles. That's what I mean. But how do yeah. you how do you choose your next role? Various different ways. Like it sort of depends on what is on offer. Sometimes I think, oh, I'd like to play someone like this, and I put that out into the universe, and I even say it to people. And I try and make that happen. And I actually do make a lot of my own work. I kind of I'm I, I have a production company and I produce things and I get try to get projects off the ground that I like and that I would want to do. And I I try to choose something that's very various criteria, like something that's different to what I've been doing before, something that I connect with on a gut level. I just think, yeah, I really like this. And also then it's like, oh, maybe it's in a location that I'd really like to go to. Maybe it's a, a director or an actor I'd really like to work with. Maybe it's a load of money and I need to, you know buy a new um, car or something. So it's all those criteria are, 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 are part of it. And then also, like I, you know, as I say, I make my own work. So I'm doing a lot of concerts in the, in, in the gaps, things that I, that I really enjoy doing. I go around with my band and stuff like that. And then, I'm, you know, I write as well. I've got a new book coming out. So things, and then of course, doing my podcast. Uh, that like you, you get to have new and different sort of stimulation by doing all these other things. I'm not just waiting around for people to give me jobs, although I, I, I do want people to give me jobs as well. <laughs> what, a, what a lovely segue. Like, it's almost like we teed this up. Let's segue that. into Alan Cummings' shelves. 
um your podcast that that sounds incredible you know during the the the, the pandemic I, I i spent it mostly in my place in the catskill mountains and in, in the hills i've got a little you know cabin up there and i and i have a i, I sort of collect things over the years and they're not it's not necessarily showbiz things it's just little things that are that mean something to me and i you know take a little memento or a little and you know people give me things and so I've got all that stuff. I've got a lot of space in that house up there. And there's a sort of a hallway that goes down, you know, towards different rooms full of shelves, wooden shelves. And so I just, I guess, you know, I'm slightly hoardy, but I keep it contained to that one area of my life and my house. And so during lockdown, when you couldn't speak to anyone or go anywhere, I would go you know, at my sort of study place where I go down and write and do my computer is down there. And I'd go past everything on the shelves. And I'd say, oh, look at that. And partly because I couldn't talk or to anyone or see anyone. I was sort of reliving some of the memories I had with these things on the shelves and thinking about it. I thought, God, wouldn't that be a good idea for a podcast that I would take something from my shelves, tell the audience, the listener, what it was, what it meant to me, and then talk about the memories I have about it and then include someone, a friend of mine, who was a part of that, interview a friend who was a part of those memories. It's great. I, I get a thing each week and I, I talk to people. So I've done, like the first ones that have come out, I did Cindy Lauper and that, some white gloves, the white leather gloves I wore as Mac the Knife in the Three Penny Opera. And Cindy Lauper was uh, in that show too. So I had her on to talk about that. Then I had a little bracelet that was a little necklace that Ian McKellen had bought for my dog, a hemp bracelet at a nudist beach that we went together to <laughs> in Vancouver. That was a trip and a half. So I have Ian on talking about the time we went to a nudist beach. He <laughs> was, oh yes, I remember this. We went down the hill and uh, no, everyone was there. And no one had a stitch of clothing on. It was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And it's, it was just the most crazy thing, walking around and nudist speech with Ian McKellen, just, you know, because you know, people recognise you by your face and then immediately go down to your junk. It was just this hilarious. <laughs> Everyone's just not, like, heads bobbing up and down like that the entire time. And then um, after that, uh, Jerry from the Spice Girls, I talked to her about all my Spice memorabilia from you got a lunchbox with them. haven't you you got spice I, girls I have a spice girls lunchbox yeah that's not a euphemism <laughs> and uh we had fun we had fun reminiscing about because actually what's really lovely about jerry was that she, the reason she i got asked to be in spice world was that she, she had seen me playing hamlet three days after her father d had died <gasps> at her college her college had come to see me playing hamlet <sighs> and i was just i was you know obviously playing hamlet i was very sort of a very studenty weepy kind of hamlet and she said that she felt that my grief that i was expressing on stage was like the grief that she couldn't express about her dad so we had this special connection before we even knew each other it's a it's an extremely enjoyable podcast and if people want to find your podcast alan it is called alan coming shelves my only criticism is that i imagine you have been dogged certainly in the early part of your life who people with people thinking your name was cummings uh, rather yes. than coming and know. it's the it's the apostrophe we need to say it's alan coming apostrophe s shelves Yes, thank you very much. On my uh, Instagram, I'm Alan Cummings Snaps because I just thought that was, you know, I actually had a photography exhibition a few years ago called Alan Cummings Snaps. And now people think it's Alan Cummings Naps. I think it's going to be pictures of me napping. <laughs> Which is niche. That's, I think we should set up. I think we should set up a separate account. I don't need to. I could just take up post pictures of me napping and that would be it i think you need but to but there is an account called alan cummings neck and it's just pictures of my neck someone's obsessed with my neck and they just post these pictures <laughs> of my neck that's disturbing well before we go alan i'm going to ask you uh, for one more favor often joe and i find ourselves on this podcast playing out scenarios um i'm not entirely mm. sure why but it happens so i wonder now you've taught us everything about acting if we could do a very brief little scene here now you the backdrop that joe and i can see where you are in quarantine australia you have a, a curtain with four different shape, shades of brown in it which is reminding us all of the sort of curtain used to get behind you in the passport photo booths mm -hmm. so i wonder if i give us each a character maybe you can give us a one sentence backstory and we can try and act out the scenario so the scenario i'm going to give us is we are in a passport photo booth joe is having his uh, passport photo done but is furious because the machine has swallowed his money and not taken the photo um, I'm the next person in the queue and I'm uh, a bit short of time so I want Joe to hurry up you are the manager of the store that the irate Joe is going to blame okay shall we just go can I be Nelson Mandela yes, yes you're Nelson oh. Mandela oh, okay why has this machine oh my god That's swallowed my 100 
around and not taken my photo. You need to help me, Mr. Manager. Oh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Is it, Mr. Mandela, uh, President Mandela, I'm so honoured that you're in our store and in this photo. What's happened? You, you didn't uh, took your money and you haven't got the photo. Please, can I help you? I would take a photo on my phone if you like. No, I want a passport photo. I have put 100 rand into the machine. See, that might be the problem, uh, Mr. President, is that it's, it takes British pounds, not, not, not South African currency. Listen, you mugs, I've got no time at all. You, manager, sort this out. Mandela, Oi, this what is are you Nelson doing fucking Mandela in this machine? This is Nelson Mandela. Have some decency. Have some respect. This I don't care who he is. I got changed the world. I have to catch a train in two minutes. So I need these photos. Mandela, whatever you are, Nelson, I've never heard of you. Get out. Mr. Manager, thank you for helping me in this time of need. I will I will accept your offer of some British pounds to pay for these passport photos. So thank you. However, this rude gentleman <laughs> behind me who needs to catch a train can go fuck himself. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. How did you learn to do such a good Nelson Mandela impersonation? Well, I watched this film called um, Invictus. I watched that. That was, that was really good. That I thought he was great in that. I, I thought he was really great in it. Um, yeah. But uh, who played Mandela in that? I'm sure it was... Was it Morgan Freeman? Freeman? It was Morgan Freeman. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. He's He is a favourite actor of mine, um, but his Mandela was bad. And after I'd watched that, I went, if Morgan Freeman can do it, I can do it. And I've been trying for years now to perfect my Mandela and this is the platform that I use. Do you, do you actually think that was good? Yes, I did. You're not just saying that because I'll put you I'm on not, the spot. I, I don't. I'm not. No, not totally. Genuinely, I thought it was really now, good. When you started, now, I was blown I away. That that means a huge amount to, to me. From coming from a professional like you, who is like acted for how many years now? Twenty. 20 plus oh, like 35 or something 35 like. long time and someone an actor that i used to play with all the time on the n64 um <laughs> to say that my Getting mandela was again. great but i think you've been absolutely wonderful and thank you so much for giving up some time in quarantine thank you so much i really enjoyed it i i, I had such a laugh and uh yeah thank you for uh thank you for your impersonation and thank you for this uh, hoot it was a real hoot as we say in scotland Joe, I enjoyed that one immensely. He was wonderful. And I mean every word of that. I'm not acting when I say that to you. Look into my eyes. If I'm acting, I'm doing an extraordinary job. Because, Joe, I genuinely loved that episode. Look at my eyes. He was brilliant. He was... I loved him. I loved that he was just sat there in his dressing gown in what looked like a photo booth in the middle of Australia. We could have spoke to him for hours. The amount of people he's met along the years, the stories he's got. No, I really, really enjoyed that one. And I'm, I'm still yet to say at the end of a episode we've done where I've gone, fucking hell, that was fucking shit. But I haven't found one yet. So I have to keep being boring and like a broken record and praise where praise is, is due because he was great. I loved it. Which I ordinarily at this point in the podcast, we mention another podcast. I feel that we've already done that. So I'm just going to underline that the show to listen to when you're done with this one is Alan Cumming apostrophe S shelves Ian McKellen Jerry Halliwell Monica Lewinsky Cindy Lauper you and I have listened we love it just search for Alan Cumming shelves wherever you get your podcast from wonderful and who's on next week Tom Joe our guest is a pub landlord I will turn the van into a pub oh yeah when we record next week then like uh, uh yeah i'll try and get a tap and everything i'll get a barrel i'll i'll, I'll do Dark the work board. i'll properly kit it all out Look, i'm looking forward to it now wet oh wet the whistle hey wet the whistle wet the baby's head wet the baby's head early oh fuck it let's go bye crowd network a place where you belong Podcast Network.